A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistle. Welcome to episode 232 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, second airborne division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of our multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman, and with me like the Han Solo trailer, the EU guru himself, our count of these two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! You're muted again. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not muted. I'm with us exactly like the solo trailer. Oh, that was good. Well played. Well, granted, played. we're supposed to. <laughs> we are supposed to see the solo trailer within the next 48 hours, as of right now, uh, on Good Morning America, and possibly during the Super Bowl, as we record this pre-Super Bowl on Super Bowl Sunday, uh, or as we call it, Patriots just go and do some Super Bowliness <laughs> again. Um, but yes, I, I was I was doing my impression of the solo trailer right there, which is non-existent up to this point. Uh, but I guess that's something that'll come up among the topics we talk about this time, at least sort of, given what we're covering here as the end of our year in review. This is true. Very true. Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or those simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we take a look back over the previous year of Star Wars Publishing. This is your Beyond the Films 2017 Year in Review. That's right, you know how we do it. This episode, we're going to be focusing on the films, television, and uh, the um, other stuff that came out in 2017. That said, consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure... Beyond the Films. That's right. So we're going to be taking a look at some home video stuff, which is definitely, you know, kind of my wheelhouse and whatnot, having written the definitive book on the subject, A Saga on Home Video, available. You know, it turns out it's not only just available on Amazon. I saw Barnes & Noble selling it. I saw it on eBay. I'm like, oh, well, I'm glad that it's spreading. We're going to look at some home video stuff. We're going to look at some TV stuff. We're going to look at some theatrical stuff and some event stuff. So lots of different types of stuff this time, but mostly not in print unless you're talking about the pressing or printing of uh, home video discs and things like that. But it is all part and parcel with looking back at 2017. It's hard to look at 2017 without this stuff. So let's start with home video stuff. And we basically had a couple of big home video pushes this year. We did wind up getting season three of Rebels on Home Video. But we also got, and that is Blu-ray and DVD, which will matter here in a little bit. Uh, but we also had, of course, the live-action films getting home video releases this year. And it was all of them. Because back in April, we had the launch of Rogue One on home video. Actually, the last thing I was able to cover for the book before publication. 
And that, at least in the U.S., meant getting a regular version uh, that's Blu-ray, DVD, digital, one that was DVD only. It meant getting a Blu-ray, DVD, digital combo pack that was exclusive to Walmart with a couple little connections discs and the little uh, K2SO packaging, and then take the same thing minus the connections disc and put it at Target, add in an extra DVD with some bonus features and the 3D version of the film, and then Best Buy drop that bonus disc back to the regular discs plus a 3D disc uh, inside a steelbook. And then, of course... Mm. Other regions getting their own variants on it, such as in the UK, they had a wide release on 3D. Here it was only at two specific retailers as exclusives. You had the great blue fans releases of The Force Awakens and Rogue One over there with those crazy sets that I recently showed on From the Star Wars Home Video Library. Um, the Rogue One one is finally in the mail to me as of yesterday, by the way. Um, but Rogue One got a giant push. But got 3D with the initial release instead of waiting for a later 3D re-release like we did with The Force Awakens the previous year. But Walmart was also actually out there pushing out reissues late in the year where you could get the complete saga set as the six-movie collection, which is basically the 2015 complete saga set reissue with a new slipcover on it. Uh, we had the 2013 Blu-ray DVD combo packs, the only time we've been able to get the Blu-ray cut from 2011 on DVD. We got those re-released with new slipcovers. And then we had the Blu-ray DVD digital combo pack for both Rogue One and The Force Awakens, both released with new slipcovers. And the DVD-only releases of both of those released in new packaging. I say new packaging because in those cases it wasn't slip covers. It was actually a new slip that was inside the regular DVD case. So Rogue One, of course, was the biggest thing for this year in Star Wars home video, but it was certainly not alone. Uh, lots of stuff, including that burst of reissues late in the year that basically was about 200 bucks out of our pocket unexpectedly. So did they, did they ever have a Holy Grail edition where it came with all the special features spread out across all the different formats that they had of this film. Like I, you know, I, I want to buy my DVD slash Blu-ray slash digital all in one package, but I want to get all those bonus features. Is there one that has all that yet? Or are we still waiting for that in the midst of this, this Marvel storm of first issues that we're getting of Rogue One out there? <laughs> so yes, for Rogue One, there actually is one that could be seen as the definitive version that has everything, right? So the Walmart release and the Best Buy release, both of those were exclusives, but the exclusive thing was either a steelbook or the little connections disc. So we're not talking about featurettes. We're not talking about video content. We're talking about just little physical things. So if you went to Target, though, you got the 3D disc in there with it, either 3D or uh, 3D at Target or 3D at Best Buy. But that one also had a little extra DVD with a couple of extra special features on it. Mm. So if you went to Target, which is the package that has the uh, little art cards or the little photo cards of the different characters you can switch out in the front flap so that it can have Jin on the cover or Saw on the cover, etc., etc., um, that is the definitive version, at least for the U.S., of Rogue One, whereas for The Force Awakens, if you're looking for a definitive version, you want to get that 3D collector's edition from late in 2016, because that one added some special features, um, added a commentary, added a 3D disc, uh, but also took the digital-only special features from some of the retailer exclusives from that April and put it on the actual bonus disc 
for that November release or October if you were in a different region. So there, there is sort of a definitive Rogue One and we didn't have to wait for it. We just had to know to go to Target back in April 2017 instead of, you know, picking up the Steelbook or picking it up at Walmart or picking up just whichever one happened to be at the place we were, um, we were going. We'd have to get the Target one to get that little disc of extra special features, which yes, was a DVD, not a Blu-ray, which was quite disappointing. Ah, see, now I just saw that Best Buy is ditching physical CD sales, and that made me think, you know, how soon till we're seeing the same thing when it comes to DVDs and Blu-rays? Uh, you know, everybody's making the shift to digital, and it definitely seems to be that the market, the industry that's putting out the physical product is kind of going, why are we putting out a product that nobody's really using? You know, and when I stop and I think about that, like, I've got a lot of DVDs. I've got a lot of Blu-rays and stuff, you know, I mean, that's something that... I am watching more movies on Amazon, on Netflix, on Hulu, um, more streaming. So I'm not playing my disc as often. I find what I do now is like if I'm watching TV or something and a movie's on that's got a lot of commercials, I'm like, why don't we just put it on the DVD? You know, but if it's on Netflix and stuff, I'm not even doing that. Uh, we had just bought a movie the other day and it came with a digital copy and I had the digital copy up on our TV before my daughter even had the disc out of the package. So I was like, like, you don't even need to bother. So I do, I wonder if at some point that plus you've got this, this plethora of all these options that can kind of be confusing to somebody that doesn't know what the options are that. I almost wonder if that's also going to hurt this industry and we're going to be in that same position here in the next 10 years. So kind of big picture snapshot of what you're talking about here. I would say that when it comes to discs in relation to movies, I think we're further away from going straight digital than with music because music is relatively low bandwidth stuff. I think that if we really are pushing towards 4K and that's the big thing right now, ultra HD, uh, if we're pushing that direction, I don't see us going straight digital on that anytime soon uh, because primarily there is a bandwidth issue and there's a high-speed internet connection need for that. And not necessarily everywhere in the country still has access to that, nor necessarily around the world. But then I also look, for instance, at the U.S. kind of takes for granted the idea of digital copies. So, for instance, I go out. And uh, I just went and bought, oh gosh, uh, the Alien six film set that goes all the way through Covenant, right? And I just took for granted there were digital copies included in that, redeemed them, now they're on my account. Uh, on the other hand, I picked up the, uh, you know, for, for like 15 bucks or something like that, I picked up the five film Mission Impossible set on Blu-ray and was like, sweet, grab the codes. The codes all expired on December 15th of last year. My bad, though, because I was picking up a set that was way cheaper than it originally was because it was on the bargain shelf. Whatever, I don't care. But we take for granted this idea of if we buy a Blu-ray, usually there'll be a DVD with it, and we're also probably going to get a digital copy. Or if we buy a 4K copy, there'll usually be a Blu-ray with it, or a Blu-ray 3D copy, we'll get a Blu-ray with it and a digital copy. But that is not the norm. Like, if you look over at the UK, none of their releases uh, for Star Wars stuff have had the previous gen version and digital with it. Like if you get, um, you know, Rogue One over there, it's Rogue One on Blu-ray, the end, no digital, no DVD. If you get Rogue One in 3D, you do get a regular Blu-ray with it, but no digital. There's no digital copies included. We're kind of the weird ones when it comes to that. Um, so a lot of markets, there isn't that combination, I guess, of digital as a free thing 
with your physical discs. And I don't know if that drives them more towards digital or less, but I would imagine probably less because it isn't as fundamental a part of the process. Like, basically, if you're buying physical discs in the U.S., you are buying digital. You're just not thinking of it that way. So you've got this big digital library already built up, even if you didn't realize you were building it. And yet, over there, not so much. Looking at that um, kind of bigger picture stuff also, uh, I would say I'm someone who didn't usually use his digital codes unless it was an iTunes code. Until we got Disney movies anywhere. In which case, I would use the digital codes for the Disney stuff on there, get the reward points, and it synchronizes to your other platform. So if I've got, you know, Avengers Age of Ultron on Disney movies anywhere, I also now have it on Amazon. I also now have it on iTunes. It synchronizes. I, I have that, but I've got something happened where Voodoo has three movies that I don't have on the other one. But for the most part, everything did sync very well. And I'm just like, why the hell is that two, in two movies? Just don't, don't show up in the one. I got to go back into Voodoo to watch it. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> well, see now, and they've, they've changed because Disney movies anywhere has gone away and is now just movies anywhere because they brought in other companies. So companies that used to only give you like the ultraviolet copies, I'm like, I'm not using ultraviolet. What am I going to use this code for? Now, many different companies are all through that same platform. So not only are you putting it in, but you're also synchronizing it. Um, although they've missed the loophole of if, if you and someone have legally, because you can do this with the settings, if you have shared your voodoo account with someone, that means that your videos and everything else that they buy, too, are all synchronizing to you on every single one of your accounts. Um, <laughs> so, like, I've got a bunch of movies that Brian Snook got, and he's got a bunch of movies that I got. It just kind of is the way that that, that voodoo works. Um, I would add, I guess, two things to this before we move past home video, because one of them is going to actually transition us into the next topic. Uh, one is the death of 3D Blu-ray. I don't necessarily foresee, and it doesn't look like we're going to be getting, there hasn't been an official announcement, so I can't say for certain, but it doesn't look like we're going to be getting a 3D release of The Last Jedi in the U.S. Really? Um, the U.K. is definitely getting one, not just a wide release, but also a Zavi Steelbook exclusive that has the 3D copy in it. But in the U.S. Why? Nothing. Well, see, but then again, over here, remember, we got 3D last time for Rogue One only as a retailer exclusive. Whereas in the UK, they had a wide 3D release. It seems like the 3D Blu-ray market is still stronger in the Eastern Hemisphere than the Western Hemisphere. So for us, it's dying. Over there, it's still going. But thankfully, most Blu-rays, even Blu-ray 3D discs, are region-free or all-region. So if you were to buy it from the UK, like I'm gonna, then you could still watch the 3D copy over here. It's just that it's... It's kind of frustrating. And it, there are those who were like, well, what's it? Is it PAL or is it NTSC? PAL and NTSC, which were the reasons why you couldn't watch like a VHS from one region in another region, had to do with the number of lines of resolution. HD and Ultra HD and all that kind of stuff have a standardized resolution regardless of region. So unless they purposely lock a disc, like DVDs are locked at region two, but that's standard definition too. Um, most Blu-rays, unless they purposely lock it to like region A for us, so somebody in you know Europe couldn't watch it, um, usually you'll be able to watch it in whatever region you want. Like you could get those expensive hundreds of dollars Chinese blue fan sets and watch them over here. Um, but the other thing I would note along with that, and I, and I guess I should say 3D televisions aren't being produced anymore for the U.S. market. So that's part of why that market's dying here, clearly. Right, right. right? If you're going to watch on 3D here, you got to have an older TV or you're going to need um, a PlayStation VR headset because you can watch 3D Blu-rays inside the headset, 
which is like watching on a gigantic theater screen, which is pretty cool. Before you shift to that, I, the other question I had, which deals with the 4K and the 3D is, you know, 4K is the new popular it item, mm-hmm. right? Like 3D used to be. Is 4K going to be in the same predicament five to 10 years down the road where, you know, it was a flash in the pan and, and nobody bought the 4K TVs and so they're just dying, dialing it down as well? I mean, that, that seems to be the new thing is the 4K, but I'm still reluctant. I mean, I just got on the, on the Blu-ray bandwagon. So I, you know, I mean, I'm probably about five to 10 years out of following the next technology forward as is, but is 4K really it or is this another flash in the pan? I'd say 4K is probably something that's here to stay. Um, it's basically, it's not a different type of form where you would need a specific, um, I mean, you do need a 4K television to be able to watch in 4K, but, but a 4K disc being played on a non 4K TV, uh, it's just not going to give you a 4K picture, depending, I guess, on the TV, um, on whether or not it can actually handle that processing or what your player can do. Uh, and generally, if you buy a 4K movie, you get the Blu-ray copy with it too, so you know, you're fine to do that. I would say that 4K Ultra HDs, HD discs, the Blu-rays, they're not as prevalent yet because the players are not as prevalent. Um, a big part of why Blu-ray became so widespread so quickly was that the PlayStation 3 was a Blu-ray player. And it just kind of helped that zip off the ground. It's actually part of why Blu-ray beat out, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, 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 HD? Uh, no, DVD not or... HD. Um, yeah, HD DVD, I guess is what it was called. Um, my, my brain went, <laughs> But um, <laughs> when it comes to this generation, uh, the, X, the original Xbox One and the PlayStation 4 and the PlayStation 4 Pro can't play Ultra HD Blu-rays. They can play, uh, the PlayStation 4 Pro can play 4K content, but it's gotta be digital. Um, whereas the Xbox One S, which is what I've got, or the Xbox One X, the new one, um, both of those can play 4K discs. Um, and you have the thing of where 4K televisions use different standards and different players use different standards of what's called HDR, high dynamic range. 4K is just better resolution that makes it clearer, but it's not, it, it, it's, it's an incremental thing, right? Like we felt, we really felt the difference between VHS and DVD in visual quality. And you could feel the difference between DVD and Blu-ray, but not quite as big a jump as between VHS and DVD. Now it's but another, you can hear it. right. Now it's another jump, but it's not as big a jump as, say, from DVD to Blu-ray to get from Blu-ray to 4K for most people's way of looking at it. Um, but what makes it the biggest difference is HDR, high dynamic range, because what it does is it has more gradations on the spectrum in between the blackest black and the whitest white. And no, that is not a political reference. Sad. <laughs> <laughs> so your your dark colors have more gradations. So on some movies where it's like a dark area is just straight up black and you can't see any detail. Um, in this case, you can still see those shadowy objects back there in lighter shades of black, um, which makes it just feel a lot more lifelike. Um, but I think that that is something that's probably going to be here to stay. You've got game systems using it. Um, you have a lot of movies coming out on the format. You've got digital versions of the format. I think we're probably looking at a mainstay of home video and a mainstay for home television for a while. It's just a question of the 4K television prices coming down, and that's already really happened. Um, The biggest issue with 3D was that the prices never really fluctuated as much as they probably should have. Like, I know when uh, Michael Morris, of course, my Cloud City Casino buddy, uh, when Michael Morris was out there hunting down a TV recently, he bought a 4K TV 
um, because for the same size to get a TV that I think wasn't 4K that could do 3D, even though it was an older TV because it could still do 3D, was like $500 more. Wow. Which is the cost of basically another smaller television. Heck no, man. That That's almost a Black Friday 72-inch, uh, man. <laughs> yeah. So it's one of those things where, I mean, I think that it's the new standard, and it's going to be the standard going forward. But it really comes back to the question of uh, how long it's going to take for it to become the standard. I don't see 4K being a fad. The other, what I would say is that if 4K is a is a short lived thing, it would only be short lived because we would find something even better than 4K. Kind of like you know we went from DVD to Blu-ray, and now we're going from Blu-ray to 4K, and it feels like the timing of going of making that jump was even shorter than the timing from VHS to DVD. Although I don't know that it really was a huge timing difference if you really get to people actually having home video stuff in their homes ubiquitously. Yeah, that's where I'm at. I keep I keep thinking that 4K looks fun. I don't have the systems for it, but the fact that you've got the Xbox is already playing it and stuff, you know, PlayStation needs to jump on that bandwagon, obviously, because that definitely does seem to be the next direction. I kept thinking, you know, if I would have got on the 3D, I'd be able to do all that cool stuff you're doing, but that price tag is definitely what keeps you outside the door, man. Yeah, it's not good. And we, and we are fortunate, I guess, in our home that we still keep our television on our dresser. So it always comes down to a combination, and the dresser's on the same wall as the door to the bathroom. So it's a combination of a couple of things. Every time we go looking for a new TV, it's does it have a base that's in the center instead of standing on stands that are on the sides? Because if it's in the center, we can put it on the dresser more easily and have the ends of it still go beyond the dresser without it not having a place to rest. Um, and do we have enough space against that wall widthwise to not be blocking part of the door to the bathroom? So for us, it's sort of a, it restrains us down in the size that we get. I want to say our current one is like a 50 inch or a 49 inch, but that's probably about as far as we go because we're not yet into the, we're going to mount it on the wall thing because we've changed TVs a few times in the last few years, slowly getting bigger, eventually getting up to a, uh, to 4k though. The 3d TV we've got is still the same one I've had for ages. It's a 20 some odd inch, 24 inch or something little, uh, PlayStation branded display that was actually meant for gaming that Best Buy had on sale at one point for half off that we got. And I still, I swear by that, that thing's sitting in my office so I can even watch 3D <laughs> movies while I work. Um, nice. But going back to the whole thing of the Walmart reissues and the recent home video releases, there was one thing to differentiate those Walmart reissues from just being a cash grab, as we see in other regions that had recent re-releases or reissues. Like in the UK, there were recent reissues of the DVD and Blu-ray copies, both of The Force Awakens at Rogue One, but also the 3D Collector's Edition of The Force Awakens, just without the Collector's Edition name and in simplified packaging. And there was no added value at all. It was just the same discs again. But here, at Walmart, if you bought any of those seven different reissues, every single one came with a packed-in DVD, not Blu-ray, which sucks, but DVD of Forces of Destiny, Volume 1. The first of the two TV specials that, in that combined... Eight Forces of Destiny episodes with some transitions with Maz Kanata into a regular television episode of Forces of Destiny. So that was kind of cool. We saw the first Forces of Destiny home video release in the U.S., but not many people even realized it was there. Or realized it existed. Most people didn't realize the Walmart reissues existed. They were never on the Walmart website. Some Walmarts had it. Some didn't. They disappeared from the shelves fairly quickly. Now I can't even find any of them. And that was the one place to get Forces of Destiny 
on actual home video instead of having to watch it on YouTube or something. Um, which I guess brings us into, there was a new Star Wars TV series, sort of, this year, which was Forces of Destiny. We got the first 16 episodes, 8 as one run, 8 as another run of Forces of Destiny, which then had two TV specials aired, which each kind of randomly took 8 episodes out of the 16 in no particular order, and put them together into stories with Maz Kanata doing the narration in between them. The idea was this was a female-centered show. It was episodes that only ran a few minutes at a time, kind of like the old Gendy Tartakovsky series. And the concept was basically that the things that we do, even the small things we do, help turn us into, quote, forces of destiny, not because of the impact of that act, but because of the emotion behind it or the motivation, like the selflessness behind it, the generosity behind it, the camaraderie behind it, something about what makes us make the choices we make, even on a small level, helps us become bigger. It's kind of like the old thing about, you know, uh, what really matters isn't the choices you make when you are being watched, it's the choices you make when you're not being watched, when nobody can see it that show your real character and that sort of thing. Uh, so we had episodes focused on Sabine, on Hera, on uh, Jin. On Ray, on Leia, on Padme, on Ahsoka, and so on. Uh, on Taylor Swift. No, wait, sorry, it wasn't Taylor Swift. That was just Anakin with no scar looking a lot like Taylor Swift. Oh, my God. No, for those of you that don't understand that reference, <laughs> when this show came out, that was probably one of the biggest complaints. And I have to say, I probably saw more complaints from the female fangirls than, than the male fanboys. Uh, about the whole scar and the, I mean, I saw so many great, like, this is what it should look like, side by side photos, where I'm like, damn, you're right. That is exactly what it should have looked like. What did they think? Like, yeah, that was a great reference. Sorry. <laughs> there needed to be an episode that crossed over with Revenge of the Sith, where in the back it was like, and he's got bad blood or something, uh, or something, <laughs> or something. Excuse me. I, 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 I'm going to have to put like a little, little R2D2 over my voice there. <laughs> But yeah, so we got Forces of Destiny. I actually did a couple of commentaries for the Forces of Destiny Volume 1 and Volume 2 that I put up on my Patreon just as sort of bonus commentaries for those who are already at that $5 tier where they're, nice. you know, they're getting the commentaries for Clone Wars and stuff anyway, because it was just one of those things to sound off on it. And what's funny is there were books, right? You had Tales of Hope and Courage and Daring Adventures and, uh, uh, Forces of Destiny, Chronicles, Leia, or Leia Chronicles, that sort of thing, that adapt the stories, that actually give you a little more background into it. And when you hear Maz, or see Maz, or read Maz talking about what's going on, you get a better sense of what the show was meant to be. Because at first I was like, this is stupid. They're putting in all this effort for these short little things that don't really matter in the grand scheme of things, have very little impact on anything. And it was basically them trying to reach out to female fans. And my perspective of it was, you're basically trying to say, Female fans, we value you. We recognize that we haven't valued you enough in the past. But we're going to show that to you by giving you a line of kind of crappy dolls that don't wind up selling well and now the product line is pretty much done. Um, and we don't feel the need to give you actual full-length episodes of something. We're going to give these crappy, meaningless little stories with this meh animation that looks like it was done in Flash just to give you a chance to see women shine doing stuff that, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't really matter much. I looked at that as something that would be more insulting to a female fan and more pandering than something that actually would show women in a strong light, like, for instance, just regular episodes of Rebels often with Sabine and, and Hera. Um, but looking back on it, seeing that they're talking about this idea of, you know, it's the small things we do that help show our character, 
I sort of see where they're coming from. I'm a little more positive on it, I guess, now than I was at the beginning. But for one episode. Did you see the episode after the Battle of Endor with Hera on Endor? Uh, is that the one where Leia, where we find out how Leia got this change of out? No, no, this is a different one. This is a different one. Okay, then no, I haven't. I've only, I've only seen the one with Leia where she got the robe, which I thought was interesting because it did answer that question. Did she get that from the cannibal Ewoks after they had eaten the previous owner? Yes, yes, yes. Very likely so, yes. So there's an episode where basically Leia notices that Han and Chewbacca are sitting back kind of cracking wise, and watching as the Ewoks are about to eat the stormtroopers that they've captured at the Battle of Endor. And she's like, they're hungry. We need to stop them from basically being cannibals, I guess because they're going to become Wendigo or something. Um, <laughs> and uh, bad Until Dawn reference. And then um, basically she said, well, I know we've got these these packages with tons of food that basically look like Slim Jims, right? So snap into it and everything. Um but they're over by the ghost. So why don't you go ask Hera if you can get a container of that food so you can give the food to the Ewoks so they don't eat the stormtroopers or whatever. And it's basically Han is reluctant to do it because he knows that Hera is going to try to convince, is going to try to get him to admit that the ghost is better than the Falcon. So the whole thing is Han <laughs> goes to her and is like, can I have the food? She's like, you gotta say it. You gotta say it. And finally he's like, yeah, the ghost is better than the Falcon or whatever. And he gets the food and comes back and then Leia's like, thank you. And besides Nobody know nobody believes a ghost better than the Falcon or whatever. Kind of like salves his uh, ego. <laughs> but whereas most of the episodes are a woman doing something selfless or heroic or doing something to help someone else or doing something that's generous, this was an episode that was basically, "Hey, girls, you can become a force of destiny if you debase a man and force him to humble himself on his knees before you." Ooh, that's powerful. <laughs> it's the one episode that I felt like completely ditched the message of the series. And kind of went into BS territory. Whereas most of them were pretty good. But where is the force of destiny message of have good character in that? Was Hera generous? No. Was was Leia generous? No. Was the force of destiny message, hey kids, don't be cannibals. And if you tell people not to be cannibals, that makes you a force of destiny. No. It was, hey girls, if you want to be a force of destiny, make sure the men in your life are put in their place before you ever lift a finger for them. Because you can be generous to everyone else, as we've seen in these other episodes, but you will never do right by a man unless they debase themselves for you. <laughs> that seems to be the only message of the episode. I would love to hear somebody give me an interpretation of the episode that actually follows what happens in the episode that isn't that. Because it blew my mind how off-topic that episode felt. Um, so is it a solid series for the most part? Sure, solid enough for what they tried to do. Um, I kind of wish they had taken the idea and blown it up into full half-hour episodes so we would have gotten something stronger. But it's got some hit-or-miss stuff. Some of the episodes are solid, like uh, a lot of the Ahsoka Padme stuff. But then some of the episodes seem like they were just like, I don't know what we're doing, but uh, but down with men. And generally, I'm for the idea of strong female characters and stuff. I want to see women in stronger positions within Star Wars. And in particular, I think that having female leads in recent Star Wars films has been a fantastic thing because you really did sort of get a true diverse level of characterization and different groups represented, say, in Rogue One, for instance. Um, I'm all for it, but it's just like the whole thing about, you know, what do you do when it comes to dealing with old issues of racism? Is the cure to racism equality, or is the cure to racism reverse racism, where you make the oppressed become the oppressors and have a few hundred years of the opposite happening, which is kind of like what happened um, at one point in uh, South Africa? 
it's supposed to be that the cure is equality. Show these women in strong places. It doesn't mean you have to bring other people down in the process to do it. Although I guess you could say that that is a reversal of different times we may have seen male characters uh, putting female characters in a subordinate role simply to exercise their power as well. It just, for something that seemed like it was trying to do the opposite message or a more positive message, you had one episode that felt like it sort of broke the mold and kind of strayed into overcorrection territory. But that's just me. That one episode almost feels like fan service, though, because, like, you know, right now, when in my own collection, you know, two of my favorite ships are literally the Monium Falcon and the Ghost. And the more I watch Rebels, the more I watch what the Ghost is capable of, the more I kind of lean towards really loving that ship. So, like, I, I, I like the conflict there of the fan's soul that's represented on screen. Like, I think that's kind of cool, the little back and forth like that. Like, especially with Hera being more of a staple in the group. Uh, you know, now that we're finding out that, you know, she's, she's lived past rebels and that she's, is indeed part of Leia's group. So she will be in the background of some things and stuff. So to see that, like, I, I think that that's really cool. And so now you've got the ghost right beside the Falcon and the Falcon has always been like the fastest ship. So now we've got another ship that we can play off. I, to me, I love that little bit of humor. Um, I think that's interesting. But you had also mentioned the fact that the toys are failing. Um, you know, we had gotten a message on our Beyond the Films page where someone had mentioned that, where it says, uh, from what I'm seeing online, looks like Wave 3 of Forces of Destiny has been canceled. Uh, that's the Episode 9 Ray, Episode 4 Leia, both as the single figures, and Naboo Guard Disguise Padme. Many of the single-carded figures are at Walmart or at $2 in store if you can find them, and the others with the droids are basically reduced in price. They have no information about Luke or Yoda or Chewbacca. But it makes me wonder, though... Is the fact that the toys are dropping down in price so much, is that an indicator that Forces of Destiny is done and is like the first Clone Wars series where we just got two short seasons and it's over and we're moving on to a new project? Or are they going to like maybe retool and come back with more seasons and get back on point and kind of just, you know, drive this uh, Napier home? I don't know. They say that they've got another round of eight that are already in production that should be coming sometime in 2018. I would say we'll probably see what's already in production, but I doubt we'll see much beyond that. The toy line itself just seems like it was kind of floundering along the way. Like it got a lot of hype at the beginning, but didn't seem like it got the sales that they were expecting. Well, yeah, I mean, they were $20 toys. I mean, now they're dropping them down to two bucks. It's like, put them out for eight bucks from the start, man. They have a brain about this. What gets me about it, though, is my concern. Like, I'm not as concerned about, you know, whether or not women are watching or girls are watching Forces of Destiny and whether or not that is successful and the effect that that would have on more female-centered marketing in the future. Okay, because that is a market that Star Wars needs to reach out to more and needs to capture more just from a business standpoint, let alone just a fandom unification standpoint. Well, have you ever watched that movie or the Netflix show, The Toys That Define Us or Toys That Made Us? I haven't seen it, but I know what you're talking about. The episode. There, yeah. There's an episode where they're talking about He-Man and they did something similar with She-Ra when they introduced She-Ra and She-Ra blew up. And then within a couple of years, the toy industry itself blamed She-Ra for He-Man's demise because once the girls came in, the boys were like, we're not doing this, which I would hate to see something like that happen in Star Wars because it has always been an inclusive. It, I mean, granted, a lot of people, there's been that stigmata that it's just for boys, but it's never been the case. You know, Leia's always been there. She was the most badass rebel of them all. So I would hate to see something like that happen in that regard. Like, I don't know. Well, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I, I I don't think that it's as big a deal whether or not the, you know, the the YouTube video gets a lot of views 
Because I think that comes back, you know, it's just everybody's just counting views in general. I don't know how much they're able to break it down by demographics. But if they've got a toy line specifically targeted toward girls and it turns out that it isn't successful as it seems like this run hasn't been, I'd be concerned that they may say, well, see, we tried. And it looks like it just didn't work. So we aren't going to market things specifically toward women in the future, which would suck. And I look at something like, you know, I guess it's sort of how do you you got to find the niche that girls are going to want to buy as much as men. It's, you look at something like Her Universe. Her Universe blew up. I'm not sure guys are going to sit back. If there's a male-only or mostly male product line for male Star Wars clothes, I think we're going to be like, oh, that's cool, but it's clothes, dude. Whereas, like, my wife eats up Her Universe stuff, the Build-A-Bear Star Wars stuff, and anything Kylo Ren or Yoda, but that's a whole different thing. I mean, she <laughs> loves that stuff. So she's captured as part of that market, but when it comes to toy sales, it's like they haven't quite found what girls are going to gravitate toward if they're going to aim it specifically at girls, because girls could get the same stuff the boys have been. But when they try to aim it specifically to girls, it's like they haven't quite figured out how to do that most effectively. Because surely girls are still buying toys. It's just a question of what. But you... You know, I, I may be a parent in the future. You're a parent now and a parent with two different aged girls and a boy. So you've got the perspective on this. What do you see? Like when they go into a toy store, you go into like a, a Toys R Us or it's not closing or one of the toy aisles somewhere and, and the kids are looking for things either now or in the past. Like what are they gravitating towards? Do your girls gravitate towards things that are supposedly boys because they are franchises that they are just enjoying? Did any of them really get into the Forces of Destiny thing? Uh, give me some parent perspective here. So I, I tried to do the Forces of Destiny. Uh, you know, when that came out, the toys hit the shelves at around 20 bucks. My daughter had $60. This Jaina, the, the six-year-old. Uh, and I was trying to push her towards it. You know, th there was that, the, the dolls, they were nice looking figures, but something about the faces just didn't quite work. When you think about like the Bratz dolls or, or, uh, you know, the other Barbie dolls and stuff like my other, my daughters have a lot of Barbie dolls. So I thought like, you know, this would be it, but something about the way the heads were with these, they didn't really look like they would match the other Barbies. So they were kind of like, I don't want to add a doll that's so vastly different. Like, it would be close to the Monster High dolls, which they have a lot of, but it's still the, the heads were just really weird shaped and the way the hair was put in like it something about them looked off. And I think that that's what turned the girls off to it because they both like Star Wars. They both like the droids and stuff, but there was just no interest there to get that toy. Uh, you know, they, they would rather get like the small little Disney princesses that are about uh, three inches tall where you can get eight of them in one pack. So I almost wonder if. The marketing it as a Barbie doll was the problem. Like maybe they should have done it where it was, they were the small little plastic figures that, that, you know, shrunk the size down, do something like that. Disney is really famous for doing a lot of those sets. Like you can get the Frozen set where it's got the, uh, Olaf and Kristoff and, and, and it's got Sven and it's got the girls, uh, or you can, it's got the trolls. Um, I mean, you just all those different play sets. Those my kids absolutely love. So I wonder if, the niche of, of the design of the toy might have been the problem from the toy end. Um, now, when it comes to the whole in-universe aspect, the thing that I'm surprised they haven't done 
is the fact that we've got a galaxy out there where the sky's the limit. You can make, you know, think about what Lucas did. We've got a jungle planet. We've got a tech planet. We've got any planet you want. Why can't we have a freaking fashion planet? Why can't we have a planet where the whole society is based around the fashion of the galaxy? It's like the Coruscant of the galaxy for fashion. And you've got these corporations kind of like the shipyards, but they're, they are the fashion lines of Star Wars. I mean, this is something that's not talked about at all in any of the Star Wars stuff, but yet clearly there's got to be a market for this because every planet's got clothes. Every planet's got a style. Every planet's got a niche. And then there's a galactic sense of style. This is the kind of stuff that that not all women, but a good chunk of girls are going to be wanting to talk about or, or interested in. So, you know, you would think like somewhere along the line, we've got all these wonderful female authors out there. Why aren't we incorporating some of that stuff in there? I mean, you know, we're seeing a lot of these young adult books where they're incorporating sex and stuff in. Well, when I think about the books my wife read, they were these romance books. We did a deal once. I was like, you're going to read a couple Star Wars books. You're a big Mara Jade fan. So I had her read uh, Sacrifice and uh, Invincible because she liked Mara Jade and she liked Jason. So, of course, I had to read the books where they both die because I'm a couple. <laughs> so part of the deal was I had to read a duology of her books. One of her favorite sets. So I read it and it was one of those. It was kind of like Fifty Shades of Grey. I had no clue. I'm like, this is basically porn. Like, what the hell? You were reading this in a bus with children. Like, I was shocked and floored by the stuff that my wife was into. So there is a way that you could take that kind of industry that's marketed specifically for grown adult women. And you've got things like the teen magazines and stuff aimed for kids. There are themes for all of that, that you can incorporate into your star Wars stories and stuff if you wanted to, but it, it gets back to what are they interested in doing? Are they just trying to get girls into the market? Because that seems to be kind of what they're doing. And because they're not really targeting it, they're just throwing things at it. I feel like they're hitting them. They're missing the mark. You know, they're just throwing hey girls like Barbies. Let's make a Barbie doll type figure. And, and they threw it out there, but it wasn't quite Barbie doll enough. Like, I think that's the flaw here is they're doing some of the research, but not enough of the research. Like, I don't know, like they need to get some more fangirls on commissions and stuff. And, and, and honestly, I think, you know, with her universe, that's really the best, the best person you should go to is Ashley Eckstein. I mean, she's got the voice of the fangirls. Like all she has to do is throw a question out on, on Twitter and she's going to come back with your raw data. So I think that there's there's a little bit of that. Like they need to have more insight from the female perspective of what the lady fans would like. And then you got to balance it cuz like like you had said, you know, when people see this cartoon they're just thinking, "Oh, it's just it's just all feminist, it's all male bashing." And I don't necessarily think that's the case, but I think that that perception when it gets out there that that's that perception itself is a problem. Like, I don't have a problem with this cartoon. I don't have a problem with these toys and it being marketed for girls. I think that's great. Uh, you know, for me, it was all about the quality of the story. I wanted the stories to be relevant. You know, I don't want to be toss away stories. That's, that's been my thing all the way around. I'd rather have more relevant stories that even if they're not relevant to a character, but more relevant to building up the perception of what this galaxy is now that it's been reset. Like, that's what I'm after right now. I want to get that, but it's not about me right now. This is about the ladies. And so when I think about my girls, man, I just don't know how I'm going to get them connected. I thought for sure these figures, this series would have been it, but the interest level just wasn't there. I played the cartoons and they were just like, nah, nah, I'd rather watch Min Min and, and some other cartoon. Like I was just floored. I really thought this was going to be a knock it out of the park home run for my children. And yet it, Went right past him, sailed right by. <laughs> and I think that the perception, you're right, the, the, the whole perception that somehow, I guess, really, okay, so except for that one episode with Hera and Han, there really isn't anything with Forces of Destiny that is anti-male. In fact, males 
barely ever show up in the series, very much focused on the heroines of Star Wars. But there is that perception out there. You have this very politicized culture that we're in right now, and this idea that anything you do relating to representation or better representation, well, that can't be just because of representation. That must be because of social justice warriors and those evil SJWs. or And, and this whole idea of it becomes so politicized and polarized that even doing something that's really just about representation and nothing else, because you have characters who happen to be female though who don't get very many stories of their own, or you have a movie like Rogue One where you want to show different types of individuals in it, and it doesn't make a difference to the character, so you have a chance to experiment with having you know different accents, for instance. It stops being something where, oh, well, that's kind of cool. That's diverse. I mean, you look back at at a lot of, of early sci-fi, especially something like Star Trek, and it was kind of a big deal, the diversity that you saw on Star Trek. And yeah, it was on purpose. But it was like, oh, those SJW kind of things. It was just for the sake of, you know, we are trying to push this forward and we recognize a lack of representation elsewhere within the genre. Um, but Star Wars these days can't do that because it's one of those things where you're going to have either the champions on the one side or the tractors on the other going at each other. Because of the politicized climate. Uh, but I would be interested in knowing, and I guess there, there's the information just isn't there yet. I'm in the process right now of reading a book called iGen. Uh, it's a book by Gene Twangy. It's a sociological study. The actual full name, I had to click here to grab oh, the full oh, name. Oh, this isn't, this isn't a rogue one no, like iGen. No, no, no. <laughs> it's iGen, like little i, big G-E-N. iGen, why today's super connected kids are growing up less rebellious, more tolerant, less happy, and completely unprepared for adulthood, and what that means for the rest of us. It is this study that's based on a ton of multi-generational studies they've been doing since the 70s, where basically they talk to people who are in college and high school, and I think it's eighth grade, and... They've been tracking these studies for years, asking sort of the same questions over and over again, like attitudes towards this, that, and the other, uh, and how you spend your time and stuff like that. And what you're seeing is that a lot of the things that come out that just make blanket generalizations about the youngest generation right now oftentimes are wrong because they're looking at trends based on that generation at a certain age, not that generation over time, or comparing that generation at that age to other generations at that age. Like you'll see like, well... You know, members of iGen, which is the generation after the millennials, uh, like 1995-ish to 2005-ish birth dates, um, yeah, well, they're tending to do this more than the millennials are now. Well, okay, yeah, but millennials are now basically adults. So is the difference that we're seeing something different between young people and adults, or is it an actual generational difference? you got to look at when the millennials were that age, what corresponds. And that's what these studies have allowed because they've been doing them for so long and they're so broad and there are so many of them. So she's kind of crunched the numbers and presents a very interesting picture of iGen that I'm actually in the process of sort of synthesizing down so I can present it to the other faculty at Fulton Virtual that I work for. Um, because that that's the generation of our students. And the generalizations that work with millennials don't always work with iGen. In fact, a lot of times it's the exact opposite. Like iGen is very much the, uh, you know, the sky's the limit. We have these great big dreams. and We have these big senses of entitlement to go with it. Whereas iGen is much more, they kind of grew up during, you know, a big part of their formative years was during the Great Recession, as it was tended to be called now. So they're very practical about, you know, I want a job. Financial security is incredibly important to me. It's not about pursuing what I love. I want to find something I like. 
maybe outside of work and find a job that's just going to keep me fed and be stable and stuff like that, which is a very different perspective. Their attitudes on a lot of things, very different. This is the generation that instead of it being like, I'm 16 years old, I want, you know, I want my driver's license. They're having to be forced by their parents by age 18 to get their friggin' license. So the parents not also <laughs> driving them to college. Um, not because of using Uber or something. They're just having all those developmental markers for sort of heading towards adulthood has sort of been pushed back for this generation, um, which is also resulting in them being sort of more immature and sort of high school minded once they get into college. Uh, and all these things that we're learning about iGen right now, she talks a little bit about how the marketing apparatus of the country isn't quite there yet. They're still trying to apply the lessons from millennial marketing onto this younger generation. But as this younger generation is getting into adulthood and they're going to be the ones doing most of the purchases, there's got to be a shift. And now we've got sort of the next group coming in after them of kids building off of that experience. So I'm wondering if part of what the problem is, it's not even so much that they don't know how to market to women as much, but they haven't quite figured out how to market to that generation's girls. As opposed to it being just, you know, well, you because know, I imagine some of the marketing that they probably did for Forces of Destiny might have gotten the attention of millennials more, or maybe Gen X or boomers or whoever. But iGen, the youngest generation, I think they've missed that mark in getting young girls pulled into it. Young girls are being pulled into Star Wars, but not by Forces of Destiny. So what is it about what's drawing them in that didn't work Forces of Destiny that they could apply to something else to keep that idea that Star Wars is not just for boys, that Star Wars is for everyone and that there is something out there for everyone. Because as much as we can say, well, you know, girls can buy the toys too, and girls have bought the toys too, that still doesn't change the mindset behind the marketing of it that still points that more towards boys. Even if girls are buying it, if the mindset is still we're pushing this towards boys, there's still a portion of the marketing strategy that is is lacking there. You wonder if the, if the iGen push maybe that's part of why the forces of destiny is so short you know the the modern kids technology they're watching videos 30 second videos minute and a half videos you know their attention span it's all about you know rapid processing and that maybe that's part of why they did that i mean granted we also have the old clone Wars, so you could say that was the example as well but you definitely kind of feel like there is that connection there. I mean, kids definitely have a shorter attention span today than before. Yeah, I'll have to go check, but there was some kind of study that was part of that that was uh, they had, uh, they were in a computer lab at a college and had basically done studies where they tracked how often a college student who has been in the earliest uh, born group of IGN changed windows on the computer as they moved from one app or one uh, thing to another, and it was something like once every 17 seconds. So, yeah, even the old adage about your attention span in minutes is approximately the same as your age is no longer even necessarily true. The the numbers are getting smaller. Um, so that may be part of it. Anyway, so Forces of Destiny was an interesting experiment. I don't think it succeeded the way that it probably should have, but it at least shows that they are trying new things to try to reach a part of the market that seems like they've been neglected for years. So in that sense... A positive thing, but I think they probably could have done it better. Um, one thing that did do it much better, talking about TV and cartoons, was Rebels. Uh, this season we got the back half of season three, which was uh, Ghost of Geonosis, all the way up to the end of the season. Then we got our Rebels season four trailer, and then had Rebels season four start, and went all the way up through the first nine episodes of that season, 
Uh, and then we got a season four back half trailer and coming up in 2018, I guess that was in 2018 also, coming up in 2018, we'll get the back half of season four. It'll be the end of Rebels uh, and presumably we'll see Rebels season four on home video this year, whereas we saw season three on Blu-ray and DVD last year. Uh, I really feel like 2017 was when Rebels came into its own in a big way. It's doing challenging things, interesting things for the most part. Character arcs are really getting interesting. The stakes have been raised. And on top of all of that, you have the fact that season four is the end of Rebels, but they know it ahead of time. It's not what happened with Clone Wars, where it was just, okay, you're canceled, and they hadn't really brought it to a satisfactory conclusion. Maybe a Dark Horse version of a satisfactory conclusion. Um, the way that they used to refer to it when they canceled a comic series in the middle of a cliffhanger. Um, but in general, Clone Wars didn't really get an end. It just kind of petered out, had the Lost Mission episodes, and you figure, oh, well, it just kind of sort of dovetails into Revenge of the Sith. Whereas in this case, Rebels is going to get an actual end because they know ahead of time that season four's end is the end of the series and they can build up to that. Um, for Rebels, I feel like this is, you know, this is Rebels at its height in 2017. So I'm excited to see where it goes from here. Uh, now, Mark, you've, of course, been doing a podcast about Rebels now. Now that Rebels Roundtable is gone by the wayside, you've been doing Padawan Perspective. So what do you think of what we got of Rebels in 2017 and as a as an addition to that, uh, again, kind of looking at it from the parent perspective, what about the perceptions um, of your younger hosts for Padawan Perspective and their thoughts on what's been going on with the Rebels in 2017? Well, so we're a little behind. Uh, we actually, we just finished up uh, season three. We just, the last of those episodes just went up. We are working on the first episode and... So I, I'm the only one in the group that's actually watched both halves of the first episode of season four. Um, what we decided to do was we were going to present it to the kids as a cliffhanger, you know, have play episode, the first one of those two and the way it ends, spoiler warning. This is also the upside about being so far behind. We really don't worry about spoiler warnings anymore because we're a little farther behind than everyone else. But you know, there were characters that it appeared that they died and you get a really big emotional impact if you think that they died. Now, if you watch it back to back, you know, immediately in the next, as soon as the next episode opens, pretty much that they didn't die. But now the kids, we recorded the first one back in December. So they've been thinking this whole time that Sabine's mom and brother are dead. They still do not know that they're alive and we're waiting. That's going to be the next episode we record, but we decided, well, we're going to do the, the last Jedi coverage. So like the kids are, they're, they're enjoying this show. Um, it's a good show, but what, what gets me about this, the whole thing is, you know, you mentioned the fact that they're going to wrap it up on their own terms, but what if their own terms are similar to what we got in a, in a sense with the Clone Wars with characters like Ahsoka and Maul, where they just kind of like write them out, but they don't give us their actual fate in the show. We're all assuming that we're going to know what happens to Kanan and Ezra by the end of the show. And a lot of people are assuming, well, they're going to have to die because, I mean, truly, this is the last of the truly active Jedi from the prequel trilogy. And, you know, well, Luke's got no other Jedi out there. So these guys have clearly got to die or go somewhere. So I would hate for them to decide to make it vague, you know, like they've done with like so far with Ahsoka, both just in the Clone Wars. And again, even in Rebels, they've been very open with with the nebulousness of what's going on with her. We're hoping she's coming back. We've been told she's coming back in the end of this. But I think that we're assuming it's going to be a nice clean wrap up because they've got the time and stuff. But you know, I don't necessarily think we're going to get that. I think that there's a part of them that may pull a Denning 
where you're in crucible and you can wrap everything up and make it all nice transition where you're going to have it go from crucible to eventually we'll get to legacy. But then last minute, well, well, we might do some more stories. So instead of having, you know, Jaina and Jag get married and then become the emperor and empress, well, we'll just have Jag walk away from the empire because, you know, he's only going to be the emperor here in a minute. So that's what I'm worried about. You know, I don't want them to, you know, have the light at the end of the tunnel, be pulling up to the station and then all of a sudden jump the curb. <laughs> you know, well, we're going to keep a nebulous. So we've got some options. No, no, have a clean cut. I want to, I want to know where this is going. So like, I, I'm kind of trepidatious about that. The kids though, they're just along for the ride. Like, I think that they're just enjoying it. Uh, Taylor absolutely loves Sabine. She, you know, Hera, she, she, the, the female characters on that show, they're the ones that are resonating with her. Um, in fact, we just, if you're listening to this, go check out our twin sons episode. Uh, you know, you can listen to the whole thing if you want, but I, I, I'm really excited about the last five minutes of that episode because my littlest one is on the show and she gets really excited. You know, we watched the episodes together. She knows Taylor and I are going downstairs. Gavin has kind of stepped away. He started out on the show. And then as the show started to progress, he's wanted to podcast less and less. So he's kind of completely t- stepped out of it. Whereas Jane is like, I want to podcast. I want to go down and podcast. So she comes down and gets in there and, you know, you're talking with a five-year-old and she gets in front of the mic and, and there's other voices on the other end of Skype. She gets shy. So you listen to some of the earlier episodes where we had her on. And it's, it's a little rough. Like I've, I've got other fans of our other shows and stuff that are like, you know, Padawan's perspective isn't for me. I get that. You know, the, the, the purpose of the show was eventually it's going to be the kids show, but we want the show to be good. And we understand that, you know, kids are growing. They're not quite as secure in their own voices and their opinions and all that. So we're kind of guiding them to that point where we can let them take the show. We figure probably about five years, you know, but they're moving towards that. Jaina just wants to be a part of it. So what I did in that episode was I decided, hey, I'll come down with you, Jay, and you and I will record a little five-minute spot, and we'll talk about it. And she watched that episode, and when we listened to that five-minute spot, she came up with some really interesting insights from her perspective. I was just like – she was watching Maul and Obi-Wan fighting, and when Maul goes down and Obi-Wan grabs him and and lowers him to the ground – she, she thought they were best friends. So she could not put together why they were fighting. And yet Kenobi would immediately love his best friend. And, and that was a, a really interesting conversation between me and her as I'm trying to explain to her, you know, how Maul was raised and he didn't have a choice. You know, he didn't, he was raised to be evil. And I was just a really cool opportunity. And that basically for me, that was kind of like the whole premise of what the show is about is just getting that little tidbit that of a kid that you just wouldn't think of, you know, you're like, Oh, I, I never would have thought about that. And to hear my little six year old coming up with that stuff was just mind boggling. Um, but for me, it gets back to, we already know Harris moving forward. So the female heroes of this show, at least we got one of them out. I want to see more Sabine. I'm a love Sabine, but I, I, this show, I wasn't expecting to fall in love with it as much as I have. I think the thing that makes me the saddest about this is that this Last season could be the last of truly active Jedi. And that really, really, I think is, is one of the things about this new canon that I'm having a really hard time with. I'm not ready to let go of the Jedi. I mean, you know, I was always a big fan of in Legends, the new Jedi Order. So thinking about Luke having another new Jedi Order and seeing how quickly it all fell apart, like that really that saddens me, you know, like I'm hoping when Yoda said what he said in The Last Jedi to Luke, that that's a, a statement that maybe Ray will eventually pick up the mantle that Luke failed with, with the new Jedi order. Maybe it'll be Ray creating a new Jedi order. 
I hope. I have this feeling, though, that we're going to move away from Jedi. You know, we've already moved away from Sith. We've got new Darksiders that are powerful out there that have no connection to Sith. They have no Sith eyes. Uh, their bodies aren't being as corrupted. I mean, we don't know anything about Snoke, so it's hard to say there. But I don't know. When it gets to Rebels, I want to, I want to see some of these characters continue on. So I love the fact that we've got Hera doing that. We've got Chopper possibly doing that. But what about the rest of the cast, man? I... I'm just in that position. I feel like this is the Super Bowl for me going forward. Like anything could happen. <laughs> Very true. I actually am kind of disappointed that we know what's happening with Hera. I did love seeing the ghost in Chopper and the mention of General Sindula in Rogue One. But knowing that, at least according to Filoni, we're not going to see Rogue One from the perspective of the Rebels characters. Which would mean that basically Rebels has to end prior to Rogue One more than likely. It did mean that they had basically spoiled the fact that Hera and Chopper and the Ghost were still going to be around. And then we got a Forces of Destiny comic that has Hera on Hoth right before the Battle of Hoth. So there we are then with the idea of, okay, well, then she at least makes it to Empire Strikes Back. And now we find that at least she makes it past Return of the Jedi. And there's a part of it that says that's great because at least we know her fate. But at the same time, I kind of wish that hadn't been released until after the end of the season so that it would have been left up in the air. Because, again, the thing that, for me, helps drive a lot of this is I care about these characters and where they end up, and we don't know in most respects. Whereas with Clone Wars, the bulk of our characters, we kind of knew where they were going to end up. We weren't sure about Rex, we weren't sure about Ahsoka, but there were only a few options, really, in a sense, available because of the type of characters that they were. And then pretty much everybody else in that show, we know what their fate is because Revenge of the Sith was coming up very soon. But this series had a lot of of play with the fact that it's all original characters for the most part. So both excited to see where Hera ends up already, but also I think it would have been more exciting to find that out after it was done. Well, it also plays into Kanan too, because people are already theorizing, well, if, if Hera's in that group, well, Kanan would automatically be there. There's no way he would leave Hera alone for that long. And if he was there, well, then the rebellion would have an act of Jedi. So they'd have no reason. Like it's already putting people into connecting dots of, Caleb Dune's gonna die. Boom. It was foreshadowed. Anyway, so also <laughs> on television, we had the second season of Lego Star Wars The Freemaker Adventures. Again, kind of a serialized story with these kind of weird comedic tales focusing on the Freemaker children, the Freemaker family. No parents, so basically older sister, older brother, younger brother. And in this case, we got 13 episodes, all in 2017. The first of which is actually... Five different little shorts that were aired, uh, I believe they first were put up online, and then they got combined into a single episode to kick off the season, and then it went from there into, you know, just the regular-sized episodes. And interestingly, we did not get a home video release for Season 2 of Freemaker Adventures in 2017, as you would have expected, but it is announced for March of 2018 with so far only DVD release mentioned. I know it's a little off topic, but I gotta say that frustrates the hell out of me because they did the same crap with the earlier LEGO Star Wars specials. The first one got a Blu-ray release. After that, it was DVD only. And we are in 2018 now. And are you really <laughs> gonna tell us you're putting out this series that aired in high definition on just DVD 
That's asinine, and it's more asinine than even doing that with Forces of Destiny as part of the reissues from Walmart, because this is an actual product you're purchasing just for this show, and it appears they're only giving us a DVD option, which is mind-bogglingly idiotic, at least to me. It's like they expect it only to be watched by kids, and that kids can't be trusted with Blu-ray yet. Like, I look forward to the day when I have children, because if they're still doing Blu-ray-DVD combo packs, I know that I can have the Blu-ray... And if I've got something that's also got a DVD, the kids can get their grubby little fingers on the DVD and watch it and not care about the resolution. And I can hang on to the better one and not let it get messed up. You know, that started with the full screen and widescreen in one packet. It was like, you guys get the full screen. I'm taking <laughs> yes, the widescreen. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I look at it. It's, it's frustrating. But I must say, I'm still enjoying the series. Uh, this one was odd in that it kind of took us through the rest of the original trilogy. So I wonder where they go with a season three. But I believe they are talking about a season three already. So, um, yeah, but it's just kind of there because it's that what canon adjacent thing. It's basically it's not canonical, but it draws upon canonical events to try to build its own story and its own continuity with all the Lego and everything. It's actually managed to tie in at least a little bit back to the old Lego specials. So that really kind of keeps pushing it further from canon. Um, but in that sense, it always makes it something that's not as essential a watch for me and my wife. Like, we'll have the season passive for Freemaker Adventures, and we'll watch it, but usually it's like, oh, there were like three episodes of that we haven't watched yet. I guess we can watch it now. Whereas with Rebels, it's like, get home, we need to watch this. I can't watch it until I'm watching it with you, so are you gonna come home so we can watch it or not? But you don't get that feeling for Freemaker Adventures. No, no, and I think... That canon adjacent is probably the thing and the aspect about this show that pissed me off. Um, you know, I, I think I can like this show as an infinities, but that quasi canon adjacent, give it a level. <laughs> Call it a infinities. Sorry, man. <laughs> but that, that I think drives me nuts. The fact that we've got a Kyber Saber, like, like in Lego, Kyber Saber, cool. In canon, Kyber Saber, and the way it's working in that show, screw that. That is, that is, no, uh-uh. Like, that's almost up there with, uh, uh, the Jedi librarian putting her lightsaber in a gun. Like, it's, it's, to me, it's almost that blasphemy. Uh, I think this is also where we, we found out that Hera was in Return of the Jedi, was from the show. And that I think was one of the first questions of, okay, if she's in there in this, does that mean she is in canon? And that's where that whole canon adjacent came in. You know, how much of this do we, you know, if we look at little Freemaker, and he's using the force to build ships out of Lego. What the hell does that mean in canon adjacent talk? Is he bending metal with his mind in the force? I mean, am I, is, is that what I'm supposed to come away with? That's his special power? Because his special power in Lego does not transfer to canon. That is not canon adjacent. That doesn't work. That's my issue with this. You label this infinities, bam, my problems go the hell away. Well, it's like it's like they're using the word adjacent to mean parallel, but they don't want to use the word parallel because parallel would make it obvious this is a parallel world. This is some kind of other continuity, this alternate reality. But since they don't want to use the word parallel and open that can of worms, they're saying uh, adjacent, which, again, if a line is adjacent to another line and never intersects it, congratulations, it's freaking parallel. Yeah, and that's and that's what I'm seeing here. We've got a Lego universe. We've had a Lego universe, okay? Why are we pretending this isn't in the Lego universe? Like, uh, that, I think, is my number one pet peeve. <laughs> Especially since Jack shows up. So, of course, it ties into those. Presumably. 
Yeah, exactly. No, and, and Jack was a character that for the Lego thing, I thought that was I thought that was cool. I was like, can we have that type of character in canon? We never got a character like that in canon. Does that mean that by Jack being in there, it's also Lego canon adjacent? That's kind of what I'm wondering. I mean, I to me, I I think that whole canon adjacent. I think that sometimes they're they're so worried about spelling out things that should have been spelled out from the start. Uh, you know, I mean, the the bottom line is the films are still canon and the books are not. You know, that, that they're trying harder than ever before. But the reality here is that anything that's not going to line up with what you're seeing in the film in a book, if it is an error, it is legitimately an error. It is not meant to be, well, this is the way it went. It's the film, it, you know, this is a film franchise first, you know, and yeah, that's hard for me as, as somebody that's loved the other stuff, but they're still blowing smoke up people like mine's butt that it's all canon. When it's not, there are still damn levels and all this crap and all it's doing is causing fans to continue to bicker and argue and fight over stupid, unimportant, trivial crap. And it's just all because of the way they're defining this stuff. It's like, man, if you would just slap an Infinity's label on this, we'd be done. We wouldn't be questioning, you know, well, this came over, but did that come over? Like, I, I, to me, that I think is my problem with that show. And I have such a hard time with that show. I can't take the humor for what it is. Cause I'm like, Oh, Empire like it. Like, no, no, he's not talking like that. Now in Lego world, I'm totally down with that. You know, you give me that infinity's label. I'm okay. But this canon adjacent crap that they keep pulling when we got canon adjacent, we got Mara Jade flying X wings in one game. And we're like, Hey, we're just going for an authentic experience, authentic experience, canon adjacent. These are terms that need to be thrown the hell out. I do not want to hear story group using these terms ever again. It's bullshit. We're going to have to add like a little PG or language warning at the beginning of this episode, because I'm sure I'm going <laughs> to miss something when I'm trying to edit the episode. I must say there was a part of me that's, that, that has an explanation for why they don't use the infinity symbol, but it's going to be annoying to people because remember, we can't have legend stories alongside canon stories because it would confuse people. Remember, Anakin Solo had to die and Jason had to be the one going to the dark side Instead of the other way around, because, well, there were already movies with another character named Anakin, Anakin Skywalker, and Star Wars fans were too stupid to tell the difference, so George had to mandate that the story that had been being built in the background for years had to be changed. Um, so that said, I'm assuming they won't use the Infinities label because they will, it will cause people to think that the new Avengers movie is a Star Wars movie. Well, and remember also Lucas decreed that we couldn't have R2, Anakin, and Alpha. That was too many A's on an A team. So Alpha had to become Rex so we can make room for Ahsoka. Yeah, I, I, no, no, no. Although this is coming from a guy whose wife's family is all people with the name starting with J, so. Well, my, my mom's family's that way is Don Davis, Darcy Davis, Donald Davis, and then my grandma Ruth. I was like, Grandma, you broke the, you broke the chain. I mean, you know, and I don't want to be somebody that's just complaining to complain. I just, you know, these are, are the, the passions that we have. These are the little ponders that we do. And these are our nitpicks. You know, I mean, this is, this is why you come here I mean, just to listen to us tear it apart out of love with a little bit of hatred. <laughs> Nobody loves Star Wars and hates it more than a Star Wars fan. Oh my God. That's so true. One of these days I'm going to have to go and legally get my name, my wife's name changed, and we can make sure that any kids that we have uh, have the same pattern. We're going to start all our names with an apostrophe and be kind of like almost like, you know, we're we're totally sci-fi. You have to do the Klingon like, 
like the, the the gagging sound where you're like stomping in the middle of a word is if you have to do it before you say our names. And that will be unique because now it seems like everybody's wanting to do the A's. Like I had a buddy in my of mine in school <laughs> whose family was all first name with the A. Anyway, um so getting away from television, the big event, of course, for Star Wars in 2017, and the one that was also the most controversial in a year of controversies, especially as we talked about with Battlefront 2, the one that was the most controversial specific to Star Wars is The Last Jedi. Episode 8 was finally released. We got to see what happened immediately after and even overlapping a tiny bit with the end of The Force Awakens. The sequel trilogy moves on. Ryan Johnson gets to tell his story. Uh, does it well enough, apparently, that Lucasfilm has decided to give him another trilogy that he can set wherever and setting up a lot of things for basically J.J. Abrams to have to figure out for episode nine. Um, very divisive, though. Not what people expect in a movie that in many ways is about defying expectations. This is not going to go the way you think. It's not just a line in the movie. It is sort of the premise of a lot of aspects of the movie. And a movie that because of that, because of some of the more daring choices that they made, the more unexpected choices that they made, because daring, I guess, comes off as as positive. So unexpected choices they made, which is a little more neutral, uh, you wind up with a film that was extremely, extremely divisive that has caused some people to say, you know, uh, I, I, I was with you all the way up through the Disney stuff and through Rogue One, but screw you, now I'm done with Disney Star Wars. Uh, and had other people who were already down on Disney Star Wars saying, see, I told you you wouldn't like it. And then had other people who were just kind of like haters of Star Wars straight through who really didn't care much about Star Wars' longevity just saying, you know, this just adds fuel to the fire. I wonder how many people out there hating it actually hated it because they were Star Wars fans or people out there jumping on the bandwagon. But very, very divisive. Personally, I thought it was a fantastic film. I thought it was one that, that again, kind of broke the expectations. I really enjoyed some of the character moments within it. And I would say it's probably my top Star Wars film right now. Granted, I haven't been able to see it at home and watch it over and over again the way that, you know, I could do with the other films. So that may be... An opinion that changes. Remember, I'm the guy who at one time, on my first podcast, Chrono Radio Episode 1, said Attack of the Clones <laughs> was the best Star Wars movie ever. And now it's in the bottom two for me. But as of now, I'm still pretty excited from the film. I think it was uh, particularly well done. I think it changed things up. And I think the reason for that, to some degree, and I thought about this the other night. It just wasn't something that I really thought about otherwise. Which was that most Star Wars stories... You kind of know what's going to happen. You kind of predict where it's going. doesn't matter if it's a book, comic, video game, especially Battlefront 2. You knew that if they weren't going to break form, of course Aiden was going to turn good. Of course we weren't going to actually follow the Imperials straight through the story. There was going to be a rebel change at some point. Um, you hope that it didn't happen because they kept marketing it as it's an Imperial story. But if it's a Star Wars story that's true to form... Of course, that's what's going to happen. Um, Star Wars stories usually only break form when it's ridiculous, like some of the stories in From a Certain Point of View. I will admit, I never would have expected a Star Wars story to be about a low-level stormtrooper having uh, hot gay sex with one of his superiors on the Death Star, possibly Tarkin uh, or Mati or Tag, in order to get a promotion to get off the Death Star. I don't think I ever would have expected a Star Wars story like that. But not because it was an unexpected twist, so much as it was something that didn't fit what Star Wars was, and that really kind of worked me to have that. I mean, even if it wasn't hot gay sex, even if it was hot straight sex, 
it's still basically sleeping your way to the top. Is that something that we really want to have in Star Wars? You didn't have it quite as explicit with Natasi Dala and Tarkin, but it was intimated back in Legends. But that always kind of had that role of sexism over the top of it. Um, that was also part of the, 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 the veneer of the Empire at the time. But this just seemed a little out of place. Um, or do we really need a story of the Dianoga? You know, it's like the surprises are usually less, wow, that was kind of a cool twist, or what they twist, and much more, wow, that was just bad. You know, the Leia comic series and the Chewbacca comic series from Marvel, those were big surprises to me because they sucked. <laughs> Because I didn't expect garbage. But that's not the same thing as having a surprise that makes you go wow in a good way. And I feel like, with the exception of No, I Am Your Father, which I was too young for. I was taken to see The Empire Strikes Back when I was a baby. You know, and I'm sorry to anybody who was in the theater at the time because it was a baby in the movie theater. Um, but I was too young <laughs> to remember that. So for me, by the time I really got into Star Wars heavier with like Return of the Jedi in 83, the... Luke is the child of Vader thing was already known. It was just part of the lexicon. I didn't get to experience that as a surprise. But I think back to the other Star Wars films, the prequels, the Clone Wars, Rebels, and sometimes on TV we get surprises that make me say wow. And sometimes in books or comics we've gotten that. Not as much with Marvel now, but more with Dark Horse, but at least it, had, it tended to happen sometimes where we'd actually see things that were truly unexpected. But in the Star Wars films especially... I don't think, especially with the prequels, I ever had that moment of, wow, that was unexpected. I think the only big surprise for me with the prequels was, oh, they called him Vader before he was in the suit? Huh, I figured they both happened at the same time. That's not a huge surprise. But there were moments in The Last Jedi that had me saying, holy Sith, at surprises. Rogue One did not have a lot of surprises for me, if any. Um, you kind of knew where that was going. Same thing with The Force Awakens. You kind of knew where that was going. But... The Last Jedi had multiple moments that had me going, whoa, I didn't expect that twist. Unless it was just me seeing a couple twists, knowing there would be twists to come, and thinking ahead, gee, I wonder what twists they could do. And that, to me, was kind of a good thing, but it's a different thing for Star Wars. Star Wars stories tend to be very predictable. Not so much with The Last Jedi, and that broke form. And I think for some, that is where there's a lot of angst, because if you go into the idea that Star Wars is a certain thing and only a certain thing, and then it changes it up, that's going to be bothersome. But especially if the changes are in story and, you f and you're getting a feeling while watching it that isn't the same. And not just that the movie isn't the same as traditional Star Wars, but as you're watching it, you're hitting those surprise points, and the experience emotionally of watching the film isn't as comfort food nostalgia as the other films are, and it's actually causing you to challenge some of your perceptions and be like, what, huh? That's a different feel of a Star Wars movie than what we've seen every other time in the past, except maybe No, I Am Your Father. And I think that is also something that psychologically is pushing people away from the film if they're, if they tend to be against that sort of thing, um, without it even necessarily being something that's acknowledged. It's just like, oh, it's a bad film. It's actually fairly a creative film in many respects, but I can see where that comes from because the emotional feel of going and watching this movie was different than every other time. And that's not going to sit well for everybody. Uh, so I loved it, but I can see where others would not. But it certainly made 2017 an interesting year for Star Wars in the movie theater. Mm -hmm. Impressive. Every word in that sentence was uh, your opinion. <laughs> uh, you know, you're on the point, though. I mean, I, I think about, you know, 
this film was so polarizing. And what I think I, I love about this film is the sudden resurgence of the New Jedi Order interest and interest in legends. Uh, you know, some of it's out of anger, some of it's out of curiosity. Uh, and some of it is just genuine. What else is out there? Um, I think Mark Hamill's comments about what he expected from Luke going into this film were on point with legends. Like, I, I think anybody that has followed Luke Skywalker through the legend story arc, you know, that, that is what you were expecting. You were expecting a Luke that was going to be the hero. You were expecting a Luke that was going to rise to the occasion. You were expecting a Luke Skywalker that was the blood of the chosen one that would be there to stop the wrong and make it right. Uh, and what we get is not that. And, you know, you think about also in the realm of legends, you know, we were passing the baton. You know, we were passing the baton at New Jedi Order. We were passing the baton at Darkness. We were passing the baton at Fate of the Jedi and Legacy of the Force. But we never passed the baton. We get all the way to Crucible and we're still promising to pass that baton on to Jaina. We finally get to a point where we could pass the baton on. And what do we do? We reset canon and say, ah, screw Sword of the Jedi. We're going to do the passing of the baton right now. And that's exactly what they did. They, they give us films that immediately jumps right to the point where we are passing it on. Uh, and I wasn't ready for that. You know, I, I, I'm one of those people that the problem I had with this film is my perception of the Luke Skywalker character. Now, that's not a problem. You know, I've always said every Star Wars film from the first one to the last one has got highs and lows. It's got goods and bads. Uh, if you can't see the bad and all you see is good, you're just not looking hard enough and vice versa. I think so for me, not liking Luke or not liking this rendition of the big three. And that is my problem. I don't care for those character versions you know canon i loved han solo and canon i liked han solo and legends before but now what they've done with the han solo backstory for canon right now i'm hating han and canon i he's he went from being my favorite canon character to this new backstory for this character i they, they better do something with solo that makes me enjoy him because right now i'm starting to loathe what they've done with this character it's like han shooting second all over again like you have taken the fundamentalness of what i loved about this character and cast it aside like it never mattered and i'm a solace with this because i will always have legends you know you can you can stop producing new paper copies of the books and stuff but the legends are not going away from my bookshelf i can always go back and reread them and that's again that sudden resurgence of people being interested in the new jedi order you want a story where there's a jedi leia bam there you go you want a grandmaster luke skywalker bam there you go you want to see luke get married and have a kid bam there you go uh i get why they did what they did but i think because of how they went about it they've created this fundamental just divide with so many people where we're just not prepared. Now, I think it works for the film industry because of where they're going forward. I'm definitely more in the camp of Poe Dameron and for Finn and for Ray. I want to know more about them than ever before. So that worked. Kylo Ren. I'm, I'm down on this character. I want to know more. But the way that it came across, there was just so many people that were expecting that other Luke Skywalker. And I think what sucks is like Hamill's comments. Like people took and used that as a weapon for their arguments and stuff. But honestly, when I read that, that's exactly how I felt. That was like, it was like Hamill had been reading Luke Skywalker from Legends the whole time and was just like, this doesn't really fit with what I expect of Luke. And I think that that's a natural response because for 30 years, this wasn't the Luke we had. You know, Luke was the hope. And granted, they kind of give us that sense. You know, Luke shows up, Luke does what needs to do. And oh, suddenly we have hope again. But to me, 
when I think about that moment, I think about it in a more real life setting. Your rebellion's almost wiped out. You've got very few people. You've got Grandmaster Luke Skywalker, Master Luke Skywalker shows up. He goes up against them and dies. That's not hopeful. That's depressing as shit. Like, <laughs> like he, you just lost the best person and he did it during force. Like, so I'm like kind of conflicted on that. But again, every film has got its highs and its lows. You know, you take the bad dialogue out of episode two and Nathan's right. It's probably one of the better Star Wars movies out there, but you've got these highs and lows. That you have to, you have to be acknowledging the presence to move forward. And I think that that's for a lot of people that either it was just too in their face and they couldn't get around it to enjoy the movie or they were just not paying attention to that stuff and were just loving it completely. Like you have just these polarized camps and you got people like me that are in the middle that are like, I enjoyed it. It wasn't my favorite because of certain, you know, aspects of what happened with the characters. But man, I, I enjoyed the hell out of that film. That film was very entertaining. It had the action. It had the suspense, like all the way around. I've, I've watched it multiple times and each time I'm getting something more out of it. So it's continuing to deliver, but it's definitely like what they say, you know, the, the force awakens was what it needed to be. And this is what it needs to be to push us forward. I agree in that regard. It's just a rough swallow for how they did a lot of the things they did because again, I'm, I'm that legends fan, 25 years of, of following that stuff and, and, and getting into it and following where it goes and, and being invested in that universe. And so that perception came with me and I, I knew going in that I was going to have perceptions and I was trying to park them all. So, uh, you know, that was probably the hardest one to park next to the whole, well, Han and Luke never got their moment kind of thing. You know, like I think, and that's part of why I really hate the Canon version of Han. Like, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you're looking back at Legends with your, your rose-colored glasses. It's like, yeah, there's a little of that. But I'm not saying that they didn't have a hard life in Legends as well. There was a hard life, and that's not my point. The, the point here is, yeah, Legends screwed up along the way as well. Canon's screwing up along the way as it goes. That's okay. That's part of the creative process. But again, there were a lot of great moments for the Solo and the Skywalker families. In Legends, you have big Thanksgiving type dinners where they're all together. You know, you've got cousins being cousins. You've got families that, you know, Han got to be the, the first husband twice. Like, I, there's so much stuff that happened to the Solo family in that other universe that I will always take solace that even though I didn't get something like that similar here, that I have it there. So I, I had to detach that part of my brain and realize that moving forward, it's not going to be about the big three. They're definitely taking a back seat. I think the hardest thing going forward now is the fact that we had Carrie Fisher pass away when she did and what they were planning to do for Carrie Fisher's character cannot happen now. And I think that's going to really hurt the overall story process of where they were trying to go because you're going to be able to tell that come the second movie in the trilogy, they had to shift gears and turn when they weren't intending to turn. It's going to be like Jason Solo not dying and Anakin Solo dying all over again because Carrie Fisher passed away. You know, that's, that's completely out of our hands, but that's life. And I think like, that's the, the sad reality of dealing with a fictional world where you've got all this real world life stuff happening. You know, I complain about the fact that we got the novelization where Finn gets cut from the, the front when he gets cut from the back. And yet then I complain that the last Jedi gets pushed back four months so they can make sure that doesn't happen. I mean, it's the nature of the fandom to pick apart everything. But I think that we got to remember that even when we're being critiquing and we're being negative and stuff, for the most part, most of us are still enjoying the franchise. Granted, there are people that thrive on negativity. And I, I point this out on the Star Wars report a lot. Like, you know, yeah, the world would be a happier place if those people weren't here. But at the same time, 
you know, if you don't have that, you don't have the complete picture. You know, like they, they talk about the light and the dark being mirror images. And we got Ray talking about life and, and decay, feeding new life. And you can't have the positivity without the negativity, too, because if every day is a sunny day, what is a sunny day? They're like doing a slow clap in the background. Very intellectually honest of you. Uh, <laughs> I actually know as you were saying that uh, I'm sitting here and I, I just imagine the end of of that particular thought process ending with a little bit of slow music and like I see trees of green <laughs> or something like that where it's just kind of like taking us off into the sunset um but yeah I think that that's that says it very well so I'll tell you what I'll just move us on so the last thing we want to talk about here as part of this little bit of everything episode the stuff that doesn't fall under games books or comics uh is celebration and my God, I was putting this list together of stuff for this year, uh, for last year, for 2017, for this year in review. And I got to the point of listing c- celebration. I was like, my God, was that still this year? Was the way I was feeling about it as I was putting it together. It seems like it's been so long since Celebration Orlando. But no, that was just last April. We haven't hit a year since then yet. Um, but yes, we had the newest Star Wars celebration this time in Orlando, Florida, where it has been before. And this was the first time that my wife and I were able to actually go to it. Uh, first time I was able to go to it at all, because I would have thought about going to ones even earlier, but I never got a chance to go to one. So it was my first, but also my wife's first, and our first together. So it made for a great experience in that sense. And I find that what I said at the time is still valid, I think, which is that a lot of the blemishes of that weekend, a lot of the things that sucked, like the screw-ups of certain lines, the screw-ups of the autograph process for Ashley Eckstein that even pissed her off, um, the stuff like that, uh, the walking around and, and having to go get you know pain medicine for my legs by the time the first day was done and stuff like that, a lot of the negative aspects of it wound up being something that colored my perception of it at the time. And our response was, that was fun. It was cool to see so many people, but not sure we'd ever do it again. Now that we've done it once, it could say, you know, we've had that experience. And I said that looking back on it, what I would probably find is that over time, it's the positive things that wind up standing out. The negative things start to fade and we'll probably feel more positive on the experience as a whole rather than as balanced as we were. And that is absolutely what has happened. Looking back on it, I think about the people we had a chance to meet. And it gives me sort of a very positive look back on it. With the blemishes being things that just irked me at the time and should have been done better. But I think of them as, well, those parts sucked. But it's the nature of the beast when you have something so large. So kind of thinking back on it, I still am uh, am questionable on whether or not my wife would ever do another Star Wars celebration. But it comes down to this question of, well, if we were ever to, it wouldn't exactly be completely, you know, not in the cards. It's just something we would definitely want to weigh the negatives and positives of our past experience and the cost of it before making that sort of decision. Um, got to meet a lot of people that I'd wanted to meet previously, both uh, listeners and fellow people in the fan community that we've known for a while, um, or... Uh, people who are in you know official positions, like finally meeting Jason Fry and Pablo Hidalgo and so forth, uh, John Jackson Miller, just really cool chances to meet these people. But there's a part of me that that recognizes that it was less about the atmosphere or anything that was bought 
or any panels that were attended that really made the event. It was being around fellow fans and getting a chance to meet a lot of the people who are part of just that experience in general, particularly within the listenership and fellow podcasters in the community. Which sort of begged the question for me, I actually, my wife and I always, at least one day on the weekend, go out to lunch together. And as we were on our way to lunch yesterday, I turned to her and I said, I wonder what a plane ticket costs round trip from Oregon to Georgia. Because you had said something when we were recording the uh, the games episode yesterday about how, you know, you're just not in the right spot because it seems like everything's happening in Georgia. And, you know, <laughs> I'm here, Riley's here, Bethany's here, at least I think there's Still going to be here for a little bit, at least. Um, then you've got, you know, Bruce and Michael and so on and so on and so on. And this idea of, you know, I could almost get the same experience I got out of Celebration. Minus meeting some, meeting some <laughs> of the actual official creators, who in many cases I'd already talked to online plenty. I could almost get that type of experience if we did like a Star Wars Report con in Georgia. You know, <laughs> if we could just get you here. It would perhaps even be a situation where, you know, here we are with many of the people and the listeners who couldn't have maybe gone to the thing in Orlando. And all of a sudden, it's an even more positive experience because we're meeting even more people from that community than otherwise. It's because it's almost like free celebration was the people and the convention was the backdrop. Yeah. As opposed to being all about the convention and the people were just an added bonus. Um, and given that I look at it that way, that's what makes me kind of think I don't know if celebration is really the thing for us in the future because of how much it's not about the panels or the stars on stage. It's about the people and how there are other ways, perhaps better ways to interact with those people. Um, but in all, I think my experience, I know when we did the episode about it, you know, I highlighted some of the things that sucked and then talked about the great stuff about it. I think the things that sucked still sucked. But it's definitely faded in my mind as far as what it is that I think about when I look back at it. I don't look back at it and wonder about the little girl who was sent up in the Ahsoka line because they wouldn't let the parent go with her because the parent didn't have another thing to sign. And that kind of crap. Um, barring the death glares over the Thrawn copies, I think most of the stuff <laughs> that I think back for that experience, those things kind of fade in mind. I actively have to try to think about those things. You know, the, the one thing I can always say about celebration is that fellowship aspect. I mean, you know, I've only done the one, but every time I, I've watched Riley and Bruce and them get to go to more, there's just more people they keep running into and more people that they've seen the last time and stuff. Um, you know, David Motter's, uh, one of our fans on Twitter and stuff. You know, I, I bumped into him, uh, Jim Liang, you know, got to chat with him for a long time. Michael Morris, you know, I mean, we, we sat down at a podcast listener meetup and hammered out Cloud City Casino and how I could bring that onto our network because he had an idea. And I was like, dude, yeah, we don't have that show. We, we, this is great. You know, I was like, you should do an in, in universe kind of thing. Like, I mean, we were coming up with ideas for it. And I, yeah, that was, and he had that little cool poker card idea. I'm like, man, you, yeah, we're, we got to make this happen. And that was a lot of fun. That aspect was, Probably, like you said, it was the most fun out of the entire experience, getting to just chat with other fans, standing in lines that should have been boring as hell, weren't boring at all. You know, uh, we ran into, uh, Matt Wood. He was standing right behind us with his son in one of the lines where, we uh, it was, I believe it was the, uh, Untold Clone Wars panel. We were waiting to watch the Bad Batch episodes and they were standing in the line behind us and he was talking about some of the stuff he's worked on and stuff. It was just like, holy cow, like 
and I had no clue. William Devereaux pointed out to me. Like, we were sitting there with the uh, We Talk Clone guys, Ion Cannon, at the time. They were still We Talk Clones. And yeah, I was just like, hey, you don't know who this is? Let me introduce you. Like, holy cow. Uh, you know, and uh, uh, Bresnikin. I, they introduced me to Bresnikin. We all, all but ate lunch together with, with Anthony Bresnikin after the panel. He's talking about the panel. I didn't get to get into that panel, but I got to sit there and talk with him about it afterwards. That was pretty damn awesome. Um, and then Pablo. You know, after me and Michael were done and, and Jim and I were done talking and stuff, I had to walk back to the hotel. Who's out there sitting at the sidewalk crosswalk? It's uh, Henry Gilroy and Pablo Hidalgo, and they're talking about camping. Who camps all the time? Me. Yeah. You know, so, of course, I had to rib Pablo because he doesn't like to camp. I'm like, you're doing it wrong, man. You got to go to the caves. But that, I think, that's those are the memories that we come away with. You know, I mean, yeah, the panels were cool, and there were some insightful things on the panels. Like, you know, yeah, I remember uh, the Vong were going to show up in the Clone Wars. That was pretty damn cool. You know, learn stuff like that. But those kind of things, those were splashed out across the internet right away. Everybody was reporting on that. Uh, so I remember when I went, it was, it was tough because I had my family there. And then there was the aspect of, you know, I, I, I work for the Star Wars report. We do the podcast and stuff. And so I wanted to do the coverage, but I also wanted to take it all in. Um, but I think for me going back, the one thing I would love to do would be to do a, pa- a podcast on a panel. Um, you know, we did the, uh, Forest United booth at Celebration Anaheim, got to meet, uh, you know, the Jedi News crew, the Jedi Temple Archives crew, whole lot of different people and stuff. Cause we all came together to work that booth. And that was a blast. Like that was probably one of the coolest experiences I had there, uh, up with running into some of the artists. Um, you know, we, uh, uh, jazz, jazz, uh, oh man, jazz, I'm going to screw up your last name. No, I'm not, I'm not going to say it. jazz. Everybody knows you by jazz. So you're awesome. Uh, you bumped us into Joe Hogan and a bunch of other cool, uh, uh, was it Chris, Chris D, I think was the other artist there. We hung out with them waiting for jazz as jazz had some DVDs he was going to hook me up with that he brought from, uh, the country he lives over in. And so we got to hang out in the artist section, me and my son. We were there for like about an hour getting to hang out with Joe Hogan and, and just checking out Joe's stuff. I mean, brilliant artists and stuff. And then Jazz shows up and, you know, we chat for a while and stuff and have a blast. And he uh, managed to get a little lightsaber that, you know, they were throwing him away and he he scored one. And he's like, hey, you know, I, I can't take this back to, you know, the country I live in because I got to go through all these customs and stuff. But uh, I just want this to wave it around in a couple panels. And then afterwards, I'm done. And he turns to Gavin. and goes, would you like it when it's over? And I'm like, dude, tell him. Yeah. You know, like so Gavin got that and I smuggled that back. It's sitting back here on the shelf, like all these great memories of people that I got to meet there and do stuff. And, you know, the only bummer right now is the fact that when I was there, you weren't there. I didn't get to I didn't get to bump into you and, and get some actual pictures because I think like of all the different podcasting things, I even ran into Barrett there. Like I, Barrett didn't even know it. I got pictures of him. We were in while he was doing uh, uh, Star Wars Action News. They were doing a, a, a report podcast right in the background. And we we came in for the Ewoks and I look over and I'm like, oh, my God, there's Barrett. So I'm taking photos of him. He had no idea who the hell I was because we hadn't ran into each other yet. You know, so I'm like getting pictures. I'm some stranger. And then I'm like, oh, by the way, I got pictures of you at Celebration. He's like, how the hell did you get so close? I'm like, I was right in front of you, man. <laughs> But yeah, it was, it was just all those opportunities and stuff. I can't wait till we get more information about the next one. I'm actually kind of surprised that they haven't. Um, you know, it, it used to be like every other year we were going out over to, you know, the Europe countries and stuff and back or another country across international waters and then back. And it seems like after London, like we've paused that and I don't know why. Like I, I almost wonder if it has to do with the Disneyland and the Star Wars land, because it definitely seemed like when it came to the States, they were focusing around those two parks, which makes sense. And now, especially that Disney owns it, now it's a no-brainer. You got that Disneyland, uh, you know, the edge of the galaxy being built. 
maybe that's why they pushed it off. Maybe they're wanting that to be finished and then they can come back to it and they can focus all of their fandom energies on. I, I'm not exactly sure why they put that off, honestly. Do you have any speculation on why they would pause something like that? No more foreign Star Wars celebrations. They will all be American. Foreign celebrations are sad. Sad. Believe me. <laughs> Believe No. Um, no, I don't. I mean, I would assume that it must be just down to the oversaturation thing. I would think that doing it year after year after year, maybe what they'd like to do is space it out so maybe they can get more hype and make it more special when it does happen. Um, I would like to think it was because they saw some of the things that Reed Pop did at Celebration Orlando and, and took the people from uh, Reed Pop that organized some of the things that fell apart, uh, took them out back and smacked them with boat paddles. And now there's like some friction between them. Um, but <laughs> I doubt there were any boat paddles involved. So probably just a matter of, um, you know, they want to hype up their Star Wars weekends kind of stuff, I guess, the Star Wars stuff they're doing with Disney, uh, with the Disney parks. But I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just an oversaturation type of thing. They're not concerned about it, it seems like, with the movies, one a year, sometimes even two a year. But with the celebrations, not as much. Unless part of the issue also comes down to the willingness of the Star Wars celebrities to be at event after event oh. after event after event also. Because, like, you could tell yeah, yeah. to some degree it seemed like, you know, like Felicity Jones was at Celebration Orlando, but it seemed like it wasn't, like, really her thing you know like, i love the announcement coming over the last week please do not touch felicity jones if you have a photo op please do not touch felicity jones <laughs> or something along those lines i forget how they worded it please keep your fingers off of felicity jones god the fact that people have to be told <laughs> um but just this idea of um getting these same celebrities to come back over and over again like how many more times can we have Mark Hamill come to a Star Wars convention? How many times will he do it? And, you know, what do we focus on? Especially if you've got a year where you've got multiple movies coming out, then are we talking about uh, this movie or that movie? And part of it could also be, I mean, with the, with what has happened with Solo and how long it took us to get a trailer, you notice we never had a celebration focused on that. We had a celebration or we had some convention type stuff where they were really hyping up Force Awakens. We had one that really hyped up Last Jedi. We had one in between that really hyped up Rogue One, but that was overseas. I believe it was. But then you look at it and say, like, well, where's the celebration to really talk about Solo? Is it that they don't want to celebrate Solo? No, probably not. That's probably not what it is. But it's just, it's a weird breaking of the pattern. Well, it does make you question, though. Yeah, because, I mean, y y like you said, you have two in a year. You know, we just had The Last Jedi, and within six months, we're going to have Han Solo. And... We had no solo trailer in 2017. I mean, honestly, the last month you're watching The Last Jedi, that would have been a perfect time for a teaser, you know, like like a, 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 a traditional teaser, one where you're like, they don't give you much of anything. You could have got some old store clips of the Falcon flying through a nebula and, I mean, throw the title up. That would have been a great time to give us the title, you know? I mean, they, they waited on the title, which when you think about... They gave us the title right out the get-go when they had that little clip thing that they show you when they were doing the movies that said Red Cup on it. They told us it was solo from the beginning. Like, <laughs> I'm just hoping that the movie is good, you know, because if it's bad, they may have to kick it out of canon, and then they'll have a adjacent solo. Get the pun? Adjacent <laughs> solo. Eh? Eh? All right, anyway. Um, oh, they'll be like, this is Thraken. Oh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, so, yes, so I enjoyed, uh, Celebration. I'm, again, I'm not, st I'm still not sure if we're gonna do another one. 
Um, but it certainly enjoyed meeting people. And I think that that's the thing that's the key, that's the key for us. So I'm kind of interested. I hope that someday we have sort of a Star Wars report event, um, since so many of us are in Georgia, but I think that's probably stuff that happens during Dragon Con and I'm very Atlanta downtown traffic averse. So maybe that's my problem. <laughs> well, you know, if, if I ever get to a Dragon Con, I'm going to beg you to show up for one day. <laughs> Of course, of course. So a big 2017, this pretty much wraps up four episodes of Looking Back. Now we can start focusing on 2018 and things going forward. And within just a few months, presumably have episodes and books and comics and all kinds of stuff focusing on Solo, which hopefully by the time you hear this episode will have a trailer out because supposedly it will be dropped within the next 48 hours, or even 24 hours, actually, as of right now, either through the Super Bowl or through uh, Good Morning America. But we shall see. That was the last thing I, I, I put this in the show. I'm glad you brought that up. So we were talking about, you know, will it drop in the Super Bowl? And you had mentioned the fact that it was owned by uh, NBC, not ABC. Yeah, Super Bowl is airing on NBC, whereas ABC is the Disney-owned, hence Good Morning America. So I wonder if we're going to see anything during the Super Bowl, but... Obviously, people will know that by the time they hear this. Well, now, do you remember in the 90s, back in the day of Beavis and Butthead, they used to have a Super Bowl special that people would leave the Super Bowl to go and watch the Beavis and Butthead special. And they would do that for like two or three years. They would have something special like that. Where it was like, did you see the Beavis and Butthead halftime show? And I'm wondering if we might see something like that, where it's like, all of a sudden, like, hey, be sure to check out ABC at this time during the half show so you can watch the new, like, that, that's, I'm surprised that they're not marketing more like that. I think that's the whole aspect of Solo that's really perplexing me. You know, like, you had The Last Jedi, the perfect opportunity to drop that one, you could have dropped the title, you could have dropped a teaser and get that passed, like, so yet, we're looking at something similar, like, well, you know, the Super Bowl, it's done by their competitors, so they probably won't, but it's like, oh, they're, they're not doing a lot of things that they should be doing, so I don't know where they're going with this, but I mean, we've seen similar in the past where other networks are able to capitalize on the halftime show and take some of the viewership from the NFL during the halftime show, but you would think if they were going to do something like that, they would have advertised it, because they were definitely advertising the old Beavis and Butthead specials back in the day. Maybe they could like work it together as almost like a choose your own adventure, change the channel thing. Like this time, Justin Timberlake has a wardrobe malfunction grabbing his own breast. And as soon as that happens, there's like a little thing that pops on. It like fades to white and says, if you'd like to see the Star Wars trailer, turn to ABC. If you'd like to see this, turn to MTV. If you'd like to see this, turn to BET, et cetera, et cetera, so that everybody can kind of know and customize their own halftime experience before going back to NBC. But yeah, not get, not actually going to see that happening. What's great about that is I could actually see Timberlake out there doing a Michael Jackson, like moonwalking and then do the all hee hee and grab, have the, have the old jock strap come off. Oh God, oh, no, man. no, no. I thought I was just picturing him grabbing his own chest. Not, no, no, no. Thank you for giving NBC universal ideas to drive up their ratings and controversy. Just like you were giving Marvel ideas earlier about canon adjacent and all kinds of stuff. Like just don't, don't give them ideas. Don't give them ideas. <laughs> Epidemic <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Well, I think that about wraps up this episode of Stars Beyond the Films. We'd like to uh, thank you all once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. And uh, I, I do want to point out, you know, I made a comment earlier about the whole She-Ra and He-Man thing. I don't want anyone to misunderstand when I say I don't want that to happen. I mean in the aspect of I don't want my Star Wars to get lessened. I am all for the ladies coming in. Let's open the door. I've got two little girls, so that's cool. I just I, I, I realized when I, in hindsight that that kind of sounded pretty... Uh, chauvinistic I guess I'm, I'm not even sure but thanks anyway for uh, putting up and getting to this point where I apologize for that remember you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website second airborne division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it you can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar hey no matter how you get there though be sure to like our Facebook page it is literally the best way to interact with us it is our own home one if you will not only can you post comments to us about the show we love interacting with you fellow fans so if you have any star wars or legends or eu questions or you just want to comment about a past episode fire off you can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com now lastly before we go we wanted to mention you our audible trial if you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport you get a free book and that's a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe, the canon one, or any other genre, all without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate, because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. Yes, one year with no questions asked. That's almost like two books if you play it right. If you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that I'll find a sound effect somewhere in the old Chrono Radio sound effect archives that I could actually use to cover up all the swearing in this episode. (laughs) What are the odds you're going to miss one? (laughs) Oh, you know I'm going to miss one somewhere and it's probably going to be your (laughs) F-bomb. Sorry. I fracked up. (laughs) What are the odds we're not going to get any other celebrations? I mean, that's the one that's got me worried. Hashtag no celebrations. Hashtag Mark's fault. (laughs) My bad, y'all. My bad.